Well, good morning, Valley family and friends. Uh, wherever you might be today, from our home to yours, we welcome you to our very special time of worship. And we say, as we always do, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, I love to start my day with the Psalms. I know that many of you do too, because they instruct our hearts with truth. They lift our hearts up in praise and thanksgiving to God. And they're both songs and prayers that we can sing to get us thinking right and looking forward to a great day. And this is God's day. It's a day we set aside for worship and praise and study of his word and to receive encouragement for the coming week. I was thinking of Psalm 27 this morning as uh, I began the day, and I wanted to just share that with you. David says this. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life gazing upon the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high, high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. These are great words to begin our time together this morning. And we're so glad to have you here. And uh, this is your first time to tune in. Uh, we hope that you really enjoy our time together. We'll be switching over to the ICE household in just a moment for some worship. We have a couple songs we'll sing before we get into the message. We're so thankful for the ICE family and, and leading us in that way. But before we do that, let's just take some time and pray and commit our time to the Lord that it be profitable and encouraging and helpful and most of all that it would honor him. Let's bow together as we pray. Lord we lift up our voices, we lift up our hearts to you in praise and thanksgiving. As David prayed one thing we desire to seek after to behold your beauty, to gaze at you in your temple, to think about all of your marvelous works all of the things you have done, all that your name means to us, all of the promises that you pour out for us and guide us with every day. So we commit this time to you with anticipation and thanksgiving. We pray that as we come with a lot of cares and burdens and needs, stresses on our lives, with jobs and home situations, health needs, Lord, there are many, and sometimes they'll tend to suffocate us. We just unload those on you. We, we cast them on you. You've told us to cast all our care upon you because you care for us. It feels so good to do that, Lord, knowing that you're a sovereign God who's good and all-powerful and all-wise and can take care of every single need that we have. And tune our hearts to sing your praise. Tune our minds to receive your word. And Lord, I pray that there just be an eagerness for us to, to embrace what you're teaching us through your word today and that you'd increase our faith and to help us to grow. 
We pray for the many in our homes, in our communities, and around the world that are facing difficulties, those most of all that need Jesus, for those believers who are struggling and being tested. We pray, pray for those with physical difficulties within our church family, for those that have been furloughed or lost their jobs right now. Lord, we just take all of that and give, it, give that to you. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing we have received. And, and now as we turn to worship you in song, uh, we do so with just great gladness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thanks for joining us this morning and worshiping with us. One of my favorite things on Sunday morning is hearing the congregation sing. And obviously that's different this morning. And I'm just using my imagination that you're singing with us. And I hope you're doing so out of a heart of gratitude and gratefulness. The next song we're going to sing is Great is Thy Faithfulness. And it speaks of God's love and God's commitment throughout all generations. Would you sing with us this morning? I see all I have need. 
with thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto started a new period of life for us, a new season of life for Diane and me. We became empty nesters. And some of you have been through the various seasons with your kids and may remember that or you still anticipate that. Some of you may be really anticipating it these days. I'm just kidding. But uh, for us, we're pretty excited about it. Uh, Josh and Sarah had moved down to the Phoenix area. They're involved in youth ministry in a local church there. Ross was with crew full-time and headed over to West Africa to Ghana, and he was leading the missions trip there. And our youngest, Reed, had just graduated from college, and he was headed out to the Philippines and Indonesia to do evangelistic work for six months. And Diane and I, we were hopping on a plane headed to Guam to do a family conference, and I was preaching a graduation out there. So we were just kind of going every direction. And it, and it reminds us of the importance of prayer because at that point in your life, that's all you can do. You know, when the kids are little and they're running around, you're picking them up, you're moving them over here, you're talking to them, you're interacting all day long. But when you're an empty nester, they're, they're gone. And you, you do think about this more often. Of course, prayer should be central and preeminent for all of us as parents with our children. But for us, this was a particularly intense time for prayer. We'd followed each of them throughout the summer and were praying for them on a regular basis. And Ross communicated to us that as they were going to this village from the capital city, it was a bit east and inland about 14 hours by road and to a place where there are mud huts and corrugated roofs and very primitive situation, almost a, a combination of many, many villages and of course very third world. He had 38 on his team and of course they had made many preparations, taken all of the precautions and done all of the uh, pre-medical checks and taken whatever shots they needed to take and and for the first week or so they were having tremendous results and tremendous fruit. Uh, God was just blessing this trip. But then a couple of the kids got sick and then it started a, a chain reaction and by the end of the time there, 26 out of the 38 had contracted either typhoid or malaria or both. And Ross was, he had some medical background from college, uh, was shuttling them back and forth to the hospital, just run himself ragged. He himself hadn't been sick, 
the trying to take care of all of his team members, uh, running the organization, and so forth. And so we were really praying for him that the Lord would just keep him strong and healthy, be able to hold up, still accomplish the mission, that all of the uh, other college students would be safe and protected, and that, that it would be a really good experience for them as they were in Ghana and then at the end of the summer prepared to come home. Well, then we learned that Ross contracted malaria and he didn't tell anybody else. He just uh, took the medication and kept going, but he began to get more and more run down. And so we were encouraging him to get into the doctor. Of course, the, the medical facilities are, are, are not really good over there at all. And uh, they were taking a lot of these students that are getting sick and taking a, a one hour flight back to Accra, the capital city of Ghana. And uh, Ross was still doing all of that. But then it started getting really bad. And we found out that not only did he have malaria, he developed three very large parasites. He had infections internally and externally. That uh, his esophagus was, uh, had ulcers throughout it and he was bleeding and he had also had a perforated esophagus and he kept going to the doctors there there was no help and and so finally he also went to the capital city and it got so bad that he could could no longer eat and then we really got concerned when he could no longer even take down any liquids and so they decided to evacuate him to europe and then back to the states but when he went to the airport and we're, of course, my wife is following this every step of the way. You can imagine we're praying every step of the way. Uh, he gets to the airport to, to fly to Paris, and he starts uh, throwing up blood, and uh, he passes out. So they're not going to put him on a plane. And they take him back to the local hospital where they said there's basically nothing else we can do. And I still remember when we got that news of this, this complete, feeling of helplessness. There was nothing we could do. Uh, we were trying to call everyone. It was, it was hard to get a hold of Ross, hard to get a hold of anybody else or anything to happen. And uh, we just felt desperate, just completely desperate. And I, I still remember I, when I learned this news, was, I was just sitting down in my head looking down and just feeling like the weight of the world uh, on us. And uh, that's very vivid in our minds for Diane and for me. We had been the previous month reading and talking about and discussing this concept of fasting, fasting and prayer. I'd been at that time 35 years serving the Lord and had never really fasted. I, I probably skipped a meal once, but not, not on purpose. But I just never really had thought about it. But we had started talking about this and Diane and I thought if there's one time in all of our lives that we need to fast and pray desperately intensely seeking God it's now and that was our first experience of praying for our son in a desperate situation where we thought actually he was dead or dying and that there was no hope left and so that brings us to our text today. And I've been really excited about sharing this with you because I, I feel like there are so many ways that it applies to our lives presently. Uh, we've, been, we've been reading in, about the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus teaching his disciples. And this is the, the context of, of where we are. Our text is found in Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. 
It says, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. And I'd like to just walk through this passage of Scripture, because this is, this is a tough one. This isn't something that we find the Bible commands us to do. But it is something we find is, is characteristic throughout the Old Testament and New Testament that almost all of Jesus' followers, we see them fasting. So how does that apply to my life, or does it apply to my life, and how do I respond to that? So the first question we'll ask is this. Who's he speaking to and why? Because I think that finding context, whatever every verse that we read in Scripture, we want to find context. What does it mean? Who is he talking to? How does this apply to my life? And that's what we'll look at first in this text. But he's speaking primarily to his disciples. He had uh, 12, but he had others that would follow him everywhere he went. And they would be there listening to him intently on all of his teaching. It was a, a type of Socratic teaching where you just talk about everything all the time and they ask a lot of questions, he asks them questions, and that's how they grow and learn. But they had picked up a lot of other followers and sometimes thousands of followers who were just common people uh, that were mesmerized by his teaching. There were also the religious leaders of the day, the scribes, the Pharisees, and so forth that would be there testing him, criticizing him, and trying to trip him up. But Jesus is primarily focused on his disciples, and, and he tells them that uh, th this whole Sermon on the Mount is focused on, on something. It is focused on an authentic faith, an authentic, what we would call today, Christianity. And he was exposing the fakeness, the falseness, the superficial type of religion that was so predominant. And... It was very convicting to a lot of people. And so as he is going through this sermon, he is exposing the externalism and the surface type of religion, and he is really driving to the heart. And that's why we've called this whole series on the Sermon on the Mount, The Heart of the Matter, because that's ultimately what Jesus wants. He, he wants your heart. And so he speaks on authentic Christianity, and they're, they're three parts to this uh, when he gets to the religious practices in, in chapter 6. We've talked about these over the previous weeks, so I don't, I don't spend too much time on this, but he talks about giving. He wants real, authentic, genuine giving from the heart. Authentic praying. It is prayer that reaches God, that pleases God, and that is effective. And then he's going to talk about fasting. All of these have to deal with the heart and can tend to be put on for show. Um, I see two problems really in that day. One was showboating it, uh, you know, bragging about your giving when you're not giving to what God really cares about, uh, praying in public ways where you have no private prayer, it's not real, and then of course fasting, uh, going around with a sad face looking like you're just torturing yourself for God. Uh, that's that's one part of this. The other the other part is when people just completely neglect it. They don't give, they don't pray, and they don't fast. 
And I think that he, he touches on all of these. So what is fasting? I think most of us will come to a quick conclusion on this. It's going without food. It's not forever because you couldn't make it forever. You, at some point you have to have food. But going without food for a period of time, a designated time, you may skip a meal. Uh, we call breakfast breaking the fast because at night usually you're not eating unless you're getting up for a snack. Uh, but that, that's what it is. It is going without food for a period of time. Now, generally speaking, that could be for a lot of reasons. It could be for your physical health to cleanse your body. It could be you're trying to lose weight. It could be that, that you're trying to develop uh, more discipline in your life. It could be that you're mourning or grieving. You just don't feel like eating. I've seen people do that. You know, they go on for days without eating because they're grieving or mourning. Uh, or it could be a religious practice and many religions in the world particularly when you get into the Middle East will go for periods of time it's just part of their actually their celebration is a part of fasting but if we what we're looking at here is, is biblical Christian fasting designated a time to go without food for a specific purpose and we see that in the Old Testament uh, for repentance, for praying for God's blessing, uh, for protection from enemies, for direction from God, for many reasons. But what it is, is it's prayer. But it is, it is coming to God with a greater intensity and passion and focus. And by fasting, we remove distractions. We remove distractions so that we can give ourselves more fervently to prayer. There are many examples in the Old Testament and New and throughout Christian history that I'm not be able to go through all of these. But I think that one of the ones that I remember uh, vividly in my mind is, is with the city of Nineveh. Uh, we'll recognize the name Jonah. He's the one that got swallowed by a great fish because he didn't want to go there. But Nineveh was a great city, a huge city that was incredibly wicked and they had just rebuffed every attempt by prophets in the past to turn them back to God. And it was just a wicked, wicked city. And God said this, I'm going to judge it, I'm going to destroy it. So Jonah, go announce this and then I'm going to bring the judgment. Well, Jonah didn't want to go because even he, he hated them too. I mean, you know, some people are like that. Uh, out in the world you think, you know what, I know God hates all that wickedness and I hate those people too. Uh, but God, Though he hates the wickedness, he loves the people. But uh, Jonah couldn't separate that out. He, he just didn't want anything to do with it. And he fled. God brought him back. He announced it. And what happened was amazing is that the king, he, he repented. He repented. And he fasted in sackcloth and ashes, which was a part of their ritual and fasting, and just poured out their hearts to God in repentance uh, by not eating anything. He proclaimed that for the whole nation, and God spared them. <laughs> so prayer changes things. It changes it changed the fate of an entire city, and we'll find that throughout, throughout the scriptures. So all through the Old Testament, we find it with Jesus. You'll see that when in John chapter 4 that the disciples were asking Jesus, uh, we, get, we need to get food. He says, I have, I have food that you don't know of. And they said, where, where, what food do you have? And he says, uh, he says my, my bread or my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And so he would go long times uh, fasting and praying to his father. The early church, we find fasting as a part of their practices and throughout church history. So it, 
It's not commanded. That's where it's different. We're commanded to give. We're commanded to pray. But in no place do you find that we're commanded to fast. But it, but it is a pattern. So why should we do it? Why, why would we do it? I shared our, our story, our testimony. We had studied it, read about it. Never it, to that point, uh, after we'd read that, felt prompted to do this. But God in his sovereignty and his providence prompted us. Uh, to me, it, it's a personal thing. This is not, it's like the other parts of this that you're giving and you're praying and you're fasting doesn't mean that you can't do it with other people, but this is a personal thing between you and God. And it is when there is something in your life, something that's come in your life that is, that is so heavy, so weighty, of such great concern, what I call this desperate prayer is needed. You're going to put everything aside and pour your heart out to God. To, to do this then would be to fast and to pray. Usually there's a crisis of some nature. And you have, or you have prayed for a long time about something and seen no results, and, and you want to intensify that. A lot of times we just give up. You know, I've prayed, I've prayed, I've prayed, I've prayed, no answer. You think, well, God doesn't hear, God doesn't care. None of those things are true. Because God does hear and God does care. He lets us know that. There is a reason why. And so you say, you know, I'm, I'm going to take Monday, I'm going to take three days out of the week, I'm going to take this afternoon. I'm not going to eat. I'm going to get alone. I'm going to, uh, and I think for a lot of people, it's not just food. Um, back in those days, they didn't halt, have, and maybe they did, the distractions we have. But I think fasting uh, most often can mean food. I think it could be social media. It could be your iPhone. It could be the Internet. It could be gaming. There are so many things that clutter our thinking, clutter our lives, that, that fasting would fit this perfectly. That I'm just, for this period of time, and I'm not talking that they're bad things. Like television's not bad, computer's not bad, your phone's not bad. But right now it's a distraction. I need this one thing I'm going to do. This afternoon, this day, these three days. And sometimes people will go as long as 40 days to fast and pray. It's a, it's a great heavy weight that brings us to desperate prayer before God. So here's some of the things that I... I thought about praying for and I've, I've done in my personal life. Um, in my life or people around me, sometimes it's something that involves just you. Other times it involves someone you love or care about or someone that you know. Physical health, as it was when we talked about Ross. There are times of spiritual warfare where you just feel this intense either temptation or Satan is coming after you, uh, that, that you're just starting to lose ground on this and that you need intense prayer. Uh, Jesus, when he was, he fasted for 40 days in the wilderness doing battle uh, with Satan and being tempted by Satan. Many times it will be so for someone that you love, a family member who does not know the Lord and they're not coming to salvation and you fast and pray for them. Or a Christian who has wandered away from the Lord and is, is, is not following him. It could be for justice to prevail or mercy to be shown. Or it could be for the advancement of God's purposes. In Acts chapter 6, the church gathered together, they fasted and prayed, and then they sent Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. That brings me to my, my last question, is how would we do this? And I can't tell you when or, or why. I think that what, what you'll find is that 
there will become something in your life, and there maybe is now, that is so great a weight. It is such a crushing burden. It is something that is heavy on you. And you decide, I am going to fast and pray. I'm going to set up a time to do this. So how would we do it? Uh, first of all, I would say do everything scripturally and prayerfully. In other words, it should fall within the, the bounds of Scripture, that we follow God's Word as He teaches us how to uh, fast or, or how it goes. You may get some counsel from other people. And then just ask God to prepare your heart <clears throat> and instruct you of how, how that you do that. What is it that you might stop doing for a while? It might be food or social media or television. How long? Now that's a, that's a, that's a good question. How long? You could be um, super aggressive and say, I'm going to do a 40-day fast. Well, if you've never done a 40-day fast, you better stop and think about that before you do that. Uh, you need to be wise. Probably if you've uh, got health issues, you should uh, get medical advice on this. Be very careful and be a good steward of the body that God has given to you because God has made us so we need water. And uh, typically these fasts, you drink water, um, but you also need food. And uh, so there, the time period is important that you think through and get good counsel on that. So for me, <clears throat> I've done, many times I've done a fast where I'll do, I don't eat anything until dinner. In other words, I'll do a, a day where I'm, I focus on something to pray for. And uh, usually at home we have dinner, so it doesn't disrupt a lot of planning or other things. I don't have to tell people I'm fasting, I can't eat. And it's not really hard to do. Um, and when I do get hungry, I use that as a prompt to make me pray. Uh, and you know what, it's not, it's not too long. I, I'm like most guys, you know, when, when you get a little hungry, you get a little get cantankerous, a little bit edgy. Uh, they call it being hangry, I guess. Um, but what I try to do is to channel that thought of hunger to more fervent and passionate prayer. I know a lot of my friends who every Monday they'll fast for part of the day to pray for their family, their kids, uh, that sort of thing. And, and I think that's a really good thing. There, you can go for a whole day. You can go three days. Uh, I've done that before. It's not as easy. you got to be careful that, that the fast itself doesn't become a distraction because pretty soon that's all you can think about and you're defeating the purpose. And then I've also done, uh, once in my life, I did a, a long extended fast. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'll ever do that again, but, but I know that God did significant works in my life. There are three, three longer fasts that I've done. One was with, with Ross when Diane and I did that together. The second one was when I was going through a real intense warfare, I was being attacked uh, spiritually. I, I just felt I, I was, I needed the Lord to help me. And, um, and so I, I did that. And then the last one, the, the longer one that I did was uh, nothing was going wrong, but I had a lot of decisions to make as the leader of a college that were, were going to be significant decisions that would create a lot of um, controversy and whatever I did. And I so desperately wanted to do God's will. I mean, more than anything, and I thought, I got, I've got to do God's will. And I have to have the strength to do it. I have to have the right spirit to, to, to do that. 
And so that was the one that I spent a more extended time uh, in prayer. And I think it, it exposed a lot of things in my own life. Uh, the weakness of my flesh, um, how carnal, uh, fleshly that I really am. The fact that I'm not a great prayer, but God's a great God. Uh, there, there are many lessons that I learned that were unique to going through that fast. So, those times may be different for you. Um, I'll, go, I'll finish up my story on Ross and then, and then wrap this up. But uh, Ross was evacuated. So you see, you, you left him in the hospital. Uh, it, to me, it was miraculous. It was miraculous that an organization called SOS uh, was able to send a uh, medical Learjet uh, to Ghana uh, and fly him 3,000 miles in this little jet that had just enough room for him and medical personnel and the pilot. Uh, made one stop in Rwanda, I think probably halfway, and then the rest of the way to South Africa. Uh, Ross lost 30 pounds. Um, we thought even when he was in Rwanda, the stopover, he was still spitting up blood, and the, the doctors weren't sure if he'd make it. But when I look back at that experience, I think, what was all that about? Because the, the tendency could be is here we are going to, Ross could be saying this with his team, here we are going to Africa to reach people with the gospel, one of the greatest things in all the world, and why would God allow this? And I think that one reason was God was changing my son's life. Uh, he was driving him to such great dependence and teaching him lessons that he could never learn any other way. The fruit from that trip wasn't just about the, those people believing that were there, but we saw it, it radically affect our son's life. There were people that were that came to Christ all along the way through this process. It, it deepened, for Diane and me, it deepened our dependence upon God. You know, you can kind of tend, you're going through life a while, you think, hey, we got this under control, we'll just pray about it. It really drove us to our knees, and it drove us together. It worked in our lives. And I think in, in so many ways, God used that entire experience to advance his kingdom. Because you think God was working in Ross's life, he's working in our lives, he's working in all the team members' lives. When he went to South Africa, there was a whole other story while he was in the hospital for several weeks and, and recuperating of the many works of God he was doing there. And, and like we say, there are probably a thousand other things, multiple thousand other things that God's doing through that circumstance. But through desperate, desperate prayer and fasting, God was working around us. Most of all, he was working in us. I liken this, that, that you know, when God created you, brought you into this world, he wanted to have a relationship with you. And, of course, sin separated us from having a relationship with God. But when Jesus Christ came into this world and died on the cross as an atonement for your sins, and he offered to you the gift of eternal life through his resurrection, and you became a Christian, you have a relationship with God. Now, God is constantly communicating with us. He communicates us through his creation. He communicates to us through his word. He communicates through, to us through his Holy Spirit, through other believers. And God is doing that. But our, our response to him, part of the communication, is prayer. 
And I think what God does is sometimes he'll allow something to just kind of push us up. <laughs> you know, it, it, it almost just moves us in desperation to pray. And it, it's not just about the thing that needs to get answered. It's just not about physical healing or God accomplishing his work or bringing justice. It's not about whatever you're praying about. It's about you having a deeper, abiding relationship with God through his son. And he's always pushing us to that point. And that's what my prayer is this for you, that when you come to a need that is so great, so heavy, so burning to you, and you're crying out in desperate prayer, that you'll think this through. I'm not saying this is for everyone at every time, but you, that you'll think this through and, and realize that God is doing multiple things through this process. Paul tells us, pray about everything. <laughs> uh, but there are some times when desperate prayer is needed. Prayer and fasting to see God do extraordinary things all around us, but most of all in us. And my prayer is that that will be the testimony of all of us at Valley. Let's bow together in prayer. Father in heaven, uh, you bring challenges and tests. You tell us that to mature us, to cause us to grow. And sometimes they just seem so heavy, so great, that we can't hold up anymore. Or there are needs that we see that, Lord, are, are just weighing on us in a unique way. May we be fervent and intense and passionate. And when you lead us, take time to put all of the distractions aside to pray because it, as you teach us, it is the most effective, the most powerful thing we can do in all of life is to not move our hand to get it done, but to see the hand of God move to get it done. So Lord, I pray increase our faith, increase our dependence, Increase our prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're so thankful you've joined us. We'll have a couple more uh, songs, or I think one more song that Paul and his family will lead us in. So I hope you'll stay around and sing with us. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving, and thank you for reaching out during the week to other church family members because we have many that have needs. Uh, just a word of encouragement. It means a lot. And we hope that you have a great week. If you have needs, I pray that you'll uh, let us know. And join us for our Zoom meeting on Wednesday. Uh, we'll let you know more about that. But we hope that you can do that as well. Take care. God bless you. Thanks, Matt, for the teaching from God's Word. We're reminded of God's faithfulness. We're reminded that He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing loves us with an everlasting love. So we sing this last song that speaks of the God who we come and adore and sing to in this way. So you can sing with us.
Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him.
Thanks for joining us this morning for worship. Have a blessed day.